Hey, storytellers. This show is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Jerry Wicker of the Savvy Beach Bums podcast, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story with my good friend Keisha B., a positive and uplifting member of the Inspire Network of Independent Podcasters. Prepare to be inspired. Welcome to Tell Me Your Story podcast, a podcast about real life stories from everyday people. Each episode, we dive into intriguing stories from all over the world. Now here's your host, Keisha B. Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story podcast. Storytellers, this is the first show of the 2020 season. And as always, we have another interesting story. And we have Dr. Jill, a sexologist, with us today. And Dr. Jill, tell me your story. Yeah, so it's, you know, when you say to people that you're a sexologist, they assume, of course, that there is a story there, and there is. So <laughs> we're like, wait a minute. Definitely a good one. Definitely a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so my story is that I have wanted to um, understand human sexuality since I was 14 and began studying it at that age, which is surprising to people because most people don't necessarily know what their passion is or know what their career uh, path might be at that age especially one that's so unusual. So yeah, so the story starts with um, growing up uh, um, outside of Philadelphia. And I was being raised pretty progressively. My parents um, tried to be open and teach me about, um, you know, puberty and sex ed and relationships. And I had health class in school and I was allowed to watch, you know, rated R movies. And I (laughs) I even had a subscription to Cosmopolitan. Oh, my God. You... It wasn't like I wasn't, you know, I didn't have sex uh, education available to me. And yet, despite all of these things, uh-huh. I still came to be in my early teens and found myself really confused, misinformed, um, embarrassed, ashamed, all these emotions when I started to um, have my first crush, fall in love for the first time, have my first sexual feelings. Like when all of those things started to happen, I was still confused and still uh, awkward and just didn't have a very good experience. And so I thought if I, despite all this, still ended up this way, you know, how are other people suffering and how are right. other people feeling so, you know, horrible and things about their body? So I decided I wanted to learn more. And so I actually um, went to my library and this isn't that long ago. So the year we're talking 2001. Um, But this is a time where, you know, the family computer was a desktop in the middle of the living room. (laughs) So you weren't going to go Googling (laughs) too much about sex. So I actually went to my high school library, found a book. um, You found a book? (laughs) I found a paper book. And, and, you know, there's no way to trace it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading all about the real stuff, the real true, what I consider like our humanness around sexuality, our feelings, our emotions, our experiences, what it's like to exist as a sexual being in the world. And once I started reading about this, I realized I had been 
misled despite many people's best efforts to try and give me a good sex education right and so I started to feel really really angry and I was like I need to change this I need to bring this to light and I need to help people understand it so me being 14 you know I'm on the school bus I'm in I'm in class and I'm telling everybody everything that I read I am (laughs) (laughs) I am I'm becoming the go-to person in my school that they could ask questions. So my peers would start asking me questions or my boyfriend said this, or I don't know about the people about that, or is this normal? And I started to really like how it felt to help other people eradicate the shame and become informed. And so that's when I'm like, I need to do this for a living. I just have to do this for a living. So when, so. <laughs> yeah. And then, wow, that is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so when going back to your parents, so when your parents was noticing that you were taking interest in this and you said that they let you w- watch like rated R movies, how did they approach you? Well, I guess at this time, um, you know, I never had my parent, my grandmother in particular, mm-hmm. uh, who turned 77 today. Today is her 77th birthday. Happy birthday. She is, <laughs> she is the most sex positive um, person. So growing up, she was very much like, I remember, um, you know, I had a boyfriend who, who put his arm around me, um, you know, at some family event. And she jokingly turns to him and says, are you touching my girl? And he's like, no, I would never do that. And then she turns to me and goes, dump him. You know, you don't want a guy who's not going to blow his hand. Like, you want, you know, so she was like very positive about being like, get yours. Um, sex is healthy and normal and fun. And so like, yeah, so it was, it was framed in a way that was like, healthy and positive like I remember for instance um a little anecdote so I remember like being told you know when you're a kid you're like don't curse that's a bad word or something like Mm -hmm. that and and so I I don't remember what the sex term was I don't know it was penis I don't know what it was Mm -hmm. but some sex term and I and I kind of bleeped it out of my own sentence and my dad's like, "What? You know, no, you're you can say it. it's about it's not a bad word. Like it's about context. Like right. you could say, you know, um, you know, you calling someone stupid is not a bad word, but that's worse than being like, oh, fuck it, right? Which you know is a bigger word, but like it doesn't, right? So I was very much raised like the sex isn't bad. It's about you know it's about context, about being honest. It's so I was raised really sex positively." And yet still kind of had all the shame and embarrassment. So when I started to be like, you know, I want to do this for a living. I remember, for instance, my stepmom um, said, hey, like, I remember there used to be this TV show where this, uh, like, this sex therapist would go on Oprah. Let me see if I can find it for you. Maybe you can email her and ask her how she got started. And, like, so I remember, like, people were very supportive of my family. Like, they were very, like, yeah, let's figure out how to help you do this. So your journey was, it started in Philadelphia, Correct. Yes. And then where, where did you go from there? So I stayed there until just a few years ago and I moved um, to San Diego where I live now just to chase sunshine as well as the sex positivity because <laughs> uh, I guess the next leg, I, you know, the story continues with me um, pursuing, you know, I'm now going to move into college and I'm going to pursue um, a bachelor's degree in sexuality studies, which only exists in Canada at that time. Right. Now there's all kinds of programs, but it, you know, even just 15, 20 years ago, it was not something that people studied out of high school. So I had to move uh, to, a, to a university outside of Toronto to study sexuality, marriage, and family was the name of the program. 
And so I did that for, for many years. I wrote a sex column in the, in the student newspaper that was very popular. <laughs> and same idea, had people coming into my dorm room asking me questions. And I just really loved how it felt to help people um, kind of move away from the cultural myths and shame that they had been brought up with. And so, um, so that went on for a while. And then when I graduated college, this is where things take a turn, um, because now the year I'm graduating college is 2007. And so what you have here is the economic recession happening mm-hmm. right as I'm graduating college. And so there's really no entry level jobs for anyone. None of my peers um, found a good job outside of you know, that first year graduating college. But for me, it was especially difficult because this is a career that didn't really exist. Like, no, like, Right. Like, what what door am I going to go knock on to say, hey, are you hiring, you know, people with degrees in sex who are 21 (laughs) years old? Like, that's just not a thing. Um, Well, you could have worked for the porn industry and they would have taken you. No problem. Well, it was difficult because (laughs) even that was like, yeah, it was it was difficult. So I tried to go every direction you could even think of being very creative um, with going the writing direction, the health direction, the counseling, you know, nonprofits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it was just nothing. It was nothing. So I was like, well, I have to pay these student loan bills. So I'm just going to create a business doing sex education myself. And so I started this business. Now, what started to get difficult here is that um, that the world was not ready for what I was doing. It definitely was not. It definitely. It was not. <laughs> so um, basically, it was one roadblock after the next as far as um, creating this business. So, I mean, if you back it up, like first roadblock was there was nowhere to study in the entire country to get a degree, like an academic field in this country at that time. So I had to move to Canada and then there's no jobs in the field. So already like you see the hurdles, but even just starting the business was more hurdles because I could not get a bank to open a business bank account for me because they're like, no, you're going to be dealing in sexuality. I'm like, I'm teaching adults. Like this is a sex education. This is about relationships and love bodies. You know, like, nope, wouldn't let me open a bank account. Tried to rent an office and a business space no no realtors in the town would rent to me couldn't get a business permit it was just one thing after the next couldn't get a yeah the credit card processor to process payments for the classes and it was just it was a lot so um finally I get to open and um so what the space was in this little college town outside of Philadelphia called Westchester and I thought that this would be a great place because I thought college students, now, first of all, I was barely not a college student myself. I'm 21 years old at this time. So these are my peers, college students. Right. But also I figured that those, that's a demographic that could really benefit from sex education at this time. There was a $100 million a year, um, we're talking Bush era, uh, abstinence-only education. So the people in college at that time were coming out of a high school that they didn't get sex education. So I thought this would be a really good uh, place to open. And um, what I did was I had my classes and I had a whole catalog of classes that I'd host. I had a um, little museum. So I had like a, a antique vibrator museum. So you could look about the how we came to where we are now um, with, the, with the vibrator, how it used to be like a way to oppress women. Mm-hmm. And it turned into a way, obviously, now we view them as like liberating and awesome. <laughs> and that journey... I was selling lubricants. I was um, basically a resource center. So it was like a really cool, like little business. And there was, um, 
there was a Catholic church a few blocks away who caught wind of what I was doing as I was like painting and getting the place ready for opening day. And they actually went to the city council and were like, we do not want her here. And the city council, instead of being like, well, like she's a legal business, she has the permits, like it's fine. They actually revoked my business permit. Oh, wow. So, um, now again, I'm 21 years old. Imagine the, I had no job. <laughs> I'm I'm opening this little business on a credit card. And now I'm dealing with this massive lawsuit between the city and this church and myself of being like, you can't not let me. And they're like, well, we just did. So go get a lawyer to fight it. And I'm like, I can't afford a lawyer. Um, so I tried to find a lawyer and none of the lawyers would take the case because they're all like, we don't want to touch this. This is sex related. I'm like, literally, I'm a woman trying to empower other women to learn about their bodies. And this is like so outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but the whole thing just impressed upon me even further about why what I was doing was so important. You know, so, like the- so when it seemed like like back then when, you know, it, if you would have taken your situation and put it into where we are now people would have been rallying had you know thousands of people who would have just been like yeah you go um but back then i think we were still in that dark age where sex was very um how what's the word i want to use um not uh very yes there it is very taboo (laughs) and so people are like no, you're not supposed to be talking about this right now. This is for the bedroom. Are you crazy? You can't talk, tell yeah. other people about their bodies. That's sick. So now we we are very liberating about, because um, I have a daughter. And, you know, someone like yourself, I would have sent my daughter to and said, hey, mm-hmm. or I would have told her myself. But, um, you know, if she wanted, if she was even more curious or maybe she didn't feel comfortable, you know, that was too close for comfort for her, I would have sent her to you. Um, But that, tell us, tell us what happened with the, with the Catholic church. Yeah. Well, it warms my heart to hear you say that because I do feel like we have come a long way. And sometimes I feel like at the same time we haven't, there was people who ended up rallying around me. It did end up, you know, there's a happy ending to the story, but, um, (laughs) but yeah. So once, um, once I did find a lawyer, um, and um, I had to go outside of the town. I had to go somewhere that, you know, they didn't know anybody and it wouldn't hurt their reputation to work with me. Um, <laughs> and bless his heart, he way undercharged me. I know he did because he really wanted to help me out. Um, but so he, you know, basically what he did was he went back to the city and he drafted um, a, a kind of conditional use where, you know, I would agree to certain things that I had no intentions of doing anyway. They're like, you can't sell porn. You can't do live strip shows. I'm like, that is not what I was doing. Like, you know, at this time I'm getting, I'm working on my master's degree Mm -hmm. in human sexuality education. So, you know, so I I consider myself not that stripping and all that stuff, you know, that's a whole different thing, but like, not that there's anything wrong with that either, but also that's not what I was doing. So I'm like, could we just, you know, under get on the same page here? So basically that's what this lawyer helped to do. And I was able to open and then what ended up happening was um, <laughs> the Catholic Church <laughs> just really did not, <laughs> really just did not want to uh, let it lie. And they said, okay, you know, this one got through. There really was not, nothing they could do about it. But we, they wanted to immediately change the law so that no one else 
could ever open a business similar to mine in the city. Shut up. They so did that? I was kind of like, they did. So what I found, <laughs> so this is, I haven't even been open. So yeah, you know I'm thinking? I'm in my young adult life. I'm, I'm several only days into my adult life of my own career, my own job, starting this business. Um, and now I'm like going to these town meetings with the, with the lawyers and the city council members and the Catholic church members. And it's like this whole production, all the news media is there, those cameras, those newspapers. And, uh, and so I was kind of struck and the way that I, I interviewed with the, with the local media at the time is I said, listen, like I'm in a weird position because as a business owner, this is brilliant. They're basically ensuring that I'm going to never have any competition, that no one else is going to ever do anything yeah. like this. They're like, we're going to, you know, so in one way, that's great. And so in that way, I, you know, kind of supported it. But at the same time, I'm like ethically and as my bigger mission, I'm like, we got to stop treating sexuality like it's something that needs to be swept away. What is the big deal if someone does open another business that sells vibrators or teaches classes or does um, sex counseling or whatever, right? Right. What is so, so I would go to all these meetings just to watch it unfold. And it was, it was truly like it was horrifying. Like, I couldn't believe like people were standing up saying, I don't know. They didn't know I was there uh, at this meeting because they didn't know what I looked like, but I was there. And um, so people were standing up um, saying, yeah, this woman is a pervert and she should be arrested for obscenity. And this is outrageous. And there's the children are going to walk by and it looks like, you know, she is destroying the morals of this town. And it was just out of control. <laughs> yeah, that's, it sounds like it. It was a very difficult time in my life because it was very stressful. Um, it was very, you know, I was thrust into this media spotlight. It became a very, vi before viral stories was really a thing, it became viral, it became a national news story. And, um, but now that it became on the meet in the, um, in the press, a lot of folks then started to come to my side, right? So at those meetings, if you think about who's angry enough to go to a town meeting and complain? Not your everyday person, right? Like right. people who supported me, the people who are like, oh, cool. There's a little, there's a little sex, sexologist in town. Cool. Are not going to like after dinner, get their kids and drive into the city and go down to the town meeting. And they're not going to do that. They don't care enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So the people who support any given cause don't, don't act, you know, activate themselves as much as people who are opposed to something. And so at those town meetings, it looked like everybody hated that I was there. But then once the media started, then what happened is you started seeing people commenting and Facebook and social media and the, and the comment sections of these news articles. And then that's when you really started to see people were outraged on my behalf. They're like, this poor woman, you know, she's an educated young lady. She's trying to help people and she's getting villainized and she's getting, you know, so then they started coming out in support. And then you had this like back and forth <laughs> in the town. Um people started fundraising money for my legal defense and all these things like that. So it was a wild thing. It was a wild, wild thing. Um, once that died down, I ran my business there for five and a half years and it was a lot of struggle. Um, during this time, I continued with my graduate program, earned a master's degree, then a PhD in human sexuality, all the while running this little business. And it, it continued to be quiet, and then there'd be an up flare of someone pushing back, and then it'd be quiet for a while. So over the years, I had a lot of um, legal go-rounds. <laughs> oh wow! With with them, with the, with the town, um, and I continued to just treat it like it was um, 
like it was bigger than me. It was bigger than the business. And it was kind of like this, uh, like this life mission to, to move society forward in the way that we, we think about sexuality and that we treat ourselves, each other as sexual beings. And so I had to, every single time something would happen, I'd be annoyed personally, and I'd be annoyed about the bottom line and it was hurting my business, but I had to keep thinking bigger picture of, okay, but this is now a big conversation that's happening on the news and I'm being quoted in the newspaper and I got to kind of say my piece. And so I just kept drilling in the mission of like, this is normal. This is a part of who we are. Human beings are sexual and it's okay to talk about it. And it's important. And I just kept pushing that message. Um, so after five and a half years, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, yeah, that's enough. Um, now at this point, I'm in my late 20s. I had been very, you know, um, you know, the trailblazer for my 20s and I was tired. I was married. I wanted to just go live a nice, quiet life um, yeah. and and go somewhere where people were a little bit more receptive to what it is that is important to me around sexuality. And so I moved to San Diego and yeah. I've been living here for the last five years. I'm going to take a breath because that was like a long piece of my life. Just woo. <laughs> You probably like, woo, I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) But no, um, Philadelphia, that area, because I'm from the East Coast, I live on the West. I'm like you. I want, you know, I want to be free. But uh, Mm -hmm. it's not. And and for my people out there who live in Pennsylvania, I love you to death. I love my cheesesteaks. But Mm -hmm. it's very (laughs) conservative. You know, it is what it is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm it doesn't surprise me that you went through so much pushback with mm-hmm. um, what happened with you. And, you know, I was thinking about when you said you were trailblazing, um, you and uh, Dr. Ava, who's on your side of the street, um, mm-hmm. went through a similar situation because she did create a program called um, the love. Uh, I think it's called the loveologist program. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like a whole entire course of what you just uh, said. But um, I think you both went through uh, very similar situations where you were trying to just get out there that, you know, people are, are, they, they want to know about this information, about their bodies, about sexuality, about how to keep their bedrooms hot, um, you know, uh, young ladies going into their 20s and their 30s and what is that all about and what mm-hmm. does sex look like for them you know people were really <laughs> interested in this this was not a taboo it might have been taboo for some people but for a lot of people it was not because why did we have all these like you know little parties uh passion parties and pure romance those places were making billions of dollars yes the the adult like the sex toy like the sex toy industry in 2020 is projected to be i believe it is 20 billion dollars wow that is crazy and this is the type of thing i would say so people are gonna they're gonna masturbate they're gonna look at porn they're gonna have sex they're gonna do these things so we can be honest and give them tools and resources and compassion and information or we can continue to sweep it away and ignore it and let it fester and let people be confused. Um, but either way, it's going to happen. So, like, let's do it positively, right? Like, right, I think about right. any given day in the news. Like, pick your day. 
open Twitter and tell me if there's not one trending hashtag related to sexuality, whether it's some um, celebrity um, being accused of sexual violence or, you know, some um, baker not making a, a wedding cake for a gay couple or, I mean, you know, like pick, pick a day and there's going to be something. And, and I always, every day I go on Twitter and think to myself, wow, this would be so much less of a problem. And there'd be so much less heartache on this topic, whatever it is that day, if we just talked honestly with people about sexuality. Yeah. So it's frustrating. (laughs) Well, my comment about Philadelphia is, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Jill, I hope, I hope and pray that you make a documentary about what happened to you. Okay. I wrote a book about it. So that's a start. There's a start. Okay. Well, yeah. go talk to Netflix because I, w- I would watch that on Netflix for sure. Or Hulu. Either one. Yeah. Pick your poison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, what, what, tell us about the, well, we heard a little uh, about your book. What's the name of the book? The book is called Fighting the Crusade Against Sex, Being Sex Positive in a Sex Negative World. And the title speaks to this idea that I, I call all these little roadblocks the crusade from the credit card processors and the banks and the lawyers and the churches and the, you know, re- real estate agents and like, every, you know, even just the universities that weren't offering degrees, like every step of the way that I was not able to just <laughs> talk about it. Um, right. so, um, so I considered this as overarching kind of crusade against sexuality that is in our culture, um, almost like a war, a war on sex. And, um, yeah, so that's the book. It's quite a few years old now. Cause I wrote it after that happened in 2008 is when all that went down. Um, but I'm looking this year to put a nice new cover on. It needs an update. The picture of me on the front looks 10 years old. <laughs> so it's time to <laughs> storytellers I just want to cut in here real quick and I'm going to give you a little personal snippet about me so I have and I don't know if Dr. Jill remembers this but I have been following her for almost 10 years I'm not even playing I I wish I could lie about that and I I know exactly what she was talking about because I remember Um, back in the day I had adult novelty business and I was very successful at it, but what I wasn't successful at was when it came to processing credit cards, um, when they, I remember this, like it was yesterday, they would say, Hey, well, what's your business called? Well, guys, I couldn't lie and say, Oh yeah, I sell candles when I know daggone well that, that they were, you know, um, dildos or uh, lube or something like that and they would always turn me down I got turned down I'm not even lying to you 10 times Mm -hmm. and then I just started saying guys I gotta you gotta give me cash and it sucked because taking in cash on a Friday night you know an average party could be anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars yes I mean that's a lot of money to hold on you while you're just traveling from city to city. Yeah. It's very dangerous. So yes, I could totally understand where you're coming from. And I'm glad that you made a path for people um, because they don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so some things are better. I, I, I found, I don't know if, you know, 
if you found that it has gotten a little bit better with the credit card processors. But what hasn't mm-hmm. changed is the advertising on Facebook and Instagram. They will flat out not take my money. If I'm like, I want to promote a post or I want to run an ad, um, can't. All of my marketing is done purely organically. It's just people hearing about me and deciding to follow me, deciding to sign up for a class or my coaching, you know, because I do on the phone. So um, phone coaching wherever people are. So somehow they hear about me, um, you know, in Florida or Minnesota or wherever they are and they want to do a program with me. Then they heard about it organically from their friend or something they read. But it was not because I ran a paid advertisement because I can't. I'd love to. I'd love to put some money into that. But they, Facebook flags it, Instagram flags it, Google Ads flags it. It's out of control. So in that way, we haven't come very far at all. I don't know if you found. Yeah, that. I just, I just thought about that. You are mm-hmm. so right. Yeah, they mm-hmm. do not allow, even if it's you know. I think it has to. I don't think it can contain any sexual content. Not at all. Not even. Not yeah, even I think it. <laughs> it can't. Yeah, it can't contain anything. So what? Um, uh, Dr. Joe, what does your practice look like now? Yeah, I, got, I have a lot of cool things um, going on now. Looks very different than it did uh, back in my Philadelphia days. But so right now I do a lot of coaching one-on-one with people. So these are people who um, who want to make a change in their life. So if they're, they want to feel more confident or they want to be able to communicate without that feeling in the pit of their stomach like oh I don't know how to say this I don't want to offend them I don't want to hurt their feelings you know like that that type of feeling or or they just want to <laughs> yeah. strengthen their relationship or they want to get so I work one-on-one with them on a, in a four-month program where they get to talk to me every week on the phone and I have an app where we can message back and forth and basically by the end of it they will get to what they want it's about behavior change so that is the main thing that I do um, and then I'm also doing, well, I have a, a retreat. I did it last year, decided I'm going to do it again this year. So it's a, in San Diego, and it's like a three-day sexual wellness retreat um, to grow, again, as, a, as an individual or as a couple. And then I'm doing a lot. Okay. Sorry, audience. Sorry, sorry all of our, um, our storytellers out there. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty And we are back with Dr. Jill, and she was telling us about her life and her legacy. Okay, so you go ahead and pick up where you left off, or if you can, as much as you can remember. Yes, I I believe I was sharing about what it is that I do now, um, all those years later. So yeah, so I do a a lot of things I'm really proud of and really happy to to do. It makes my day-to-day life really exciting. The biggest thing I do is working one-on-one with people, doing sex coaching. So this is on the phone and in an app where I help people get what they want sexually. And um, I I was sharing about, and 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 you gave a response that made me think that you you understood that visceral feeling of like, how do I communicate and how do I like if I say this and they'll get offended and I want to speak up for what I want, but I don't want to hurt their feelings and like all of those things. And like, that's a big thing I work with people on and communicating and getting what they want and feeling confident. Um, so that's, that's a big one. And I offer retreats in San Diego, which is a beautiful three days working on sexual wellness. And then I've been doing a lot of work around consulting, which is the big new thing that really wouldn't have been possible when I started 12 years ago, based on everything that we um, share together of how Mm -hmm. hard it is being in this line of work. So that looks like anything from working with guys who manufacture sex toys and doing sex education from them, as well as sexual harassment trainings for businesses that are really sex positive, 
doing working with hospitals, working with universities, all under this umbrella of talking about sexuality more broadly. So that's what I do now. And I'm hoping to get a book out this year because I've been trying to write this book for about four years. And every year I'm like, this is the year. This is it. <laughs> but so, so do you find do you find that it's better like you know back in in um Philadelphia you were having all these roadblocks and you know uh there was just a lot of pushback um that was happening do you feel where you're at right now the community the um the surrounding areas they are more susceptible to what you're doing in, or what you're trying in, to achieve it is but then there in general yes but then there's sometimes where I think, my gosh, how are we still dealing with this? How is this still a problem? You know, like Instagram and Facebook bans being an example. But there's mm-hmm. there's a number of things that that make me go, are you kidding? So in California, um, we we recently in the last like year or two um, created a law that mandates sex education be comprehensive. It has to include consent. It has to include LGBT um, identities, you know, and lesson plans. So really cool stuff. And there's a lot of pushback. And I was, I was getting my nails done recently and I overheard two women who were getting their nails done talking about how they were going to pull their kid out of the sex ed class. And, and it's just outrageous. And I can't believe they're teaching them this. And, and I had to interrupt and be like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk a little bit about this? I'm really curious, you know, and let me share my perspective. And, you know, so there is still people who are very much not for it. So we still oh, have wow. to go. And that was in California. So that was not even in Philadelphia. Yeah, that seems bizarre that that would happen mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. like that. So here's a question for you. Um, so what is the most crazy, outrageous story? And you can tell this story without anybody in the any players of course you can't mm-hmm. say who they are mm-hmm. um what's the most bizarre story that you have heard from a client if you're willing to share that mm. um oh gosh um what just jumps to mind was this is back when in, in Pennsylvania and I still had my my storefront office front and I had a nun come in to the store and she did not know that what it is that I, I did, you know, she just thought it was, I don't know what she thought it was, but she didn't think Mm -hmm. anything sexual related. So she walks in and she had been collecting. She was trying to do fundraising. She was, um, so going door to door in in the, in the town district, asking business owners for money for something. And, um, and I, I end up talking (laughs) to her and I tell her what it is that I do for a living. I'm like, you know where you are? Like, look around. And and she kind of looks and she's like, huh? And she goes, I have a question for you. And I go, I would love to answer it. <laughs> like, please tell me. And, and this is at the height of the, my being, you know, my legal oh problems my with the Catholic church. So I'm a little, you know, I'm a little salty right at this point about, you know, the Catholic church at this juncture. And so I'm like, I cannot wait to hear what she has to say. And she says, is it true that if, if, if a man and a woman are having intercourse and she's pregnant, would the baby be able to feel it? And it just struck me, and this woman had to be 70 years old, and it just struck me as so powerful because that's a question that I would get asked by a 10 or a 12-year-old. 
And so that she yeah. had somehow gotten to 70 years old and didn't understand the basic mechanics of like a cervix <laughs> and like the way that, <laughs> like it wouldn't be no like that doesn't it doesn't work like that so I explained to her like the cervix and the penis isn't that big and like it's just you know it's okay <laughs> and, like it's not gonna be bumpy you know there's a lot there's an amniotic sac and fluid and I'm like explain the whole thing to her and she's like oh I always wanted to know that thank you and she walked out <laughs> and oh I- <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> yes I, it, I was just it was so simple but I've never forgotten it because it was just, it just struck me as an example of like, everybody has these questions. Everybody wants to know, and we should be letting people find out. It's just a shame. She had her whole life curious about that and felt like she I had know. to ask. At 70. <laughs> At least. <laughs> <laughs> Poor yes, baby. I know. So, okay. So this is, you know, and I've never been able to ask this question to someone of your stature. So here we go. How do, because of the work that you do, you must be, or at least that's the way I'm thinking, you must be feeling some type of way uh, about the Me Too movement. Mm. Um, How do you feel about everything that's going on about this mm-hmm. yeah i what well, some type of way is a great way to <laughs> <laughs> um i feel i feel i feel complicated emotions ultimately they're positive i'm glad we're talking about it right that's been mm-hmm. <laughs> the thesis of our whole conversation is we gotta be talking about it so i'm glad we're talking about it it's right. also a relief and, and for me there's some sadness because i feel like i've been um having the me too conversation since I was 14 and trying to talk to people about victim blaming and how pervasive sexual violence is and rape culture and all of these things. And I just feel like I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for two decades and no one listened. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly in a day, everybody was talking about it. And I'm like, how, you know, so part of me is like, thank goodness, finally something stuck and people are some you know it's happening and then also I'm like why did it take so long and also curiosity about why was this the thing that made people talk and not all the other things that people in my line of work and others have been trying to have this conversation and long before I came along people have been trying to have this conversation so so it's I'm excited about it um glad it's it's still it wasn't just like a overnight thing that people were you know a few years in now we're still talking about it I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I would love to read some dissertations. I'm sure somebody at some point. Oh. I'm here. And mm-hmm. there are other movements. You know, we had the slut walk and we had, um, you know, we had the vagina monologues. And we've had many movements over the years about this topic that didn't quite hit the same note. And I'm really curious why. But ultimately, I'm really glad that we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, now that we're nearing the end of our conversation, I always um, ask all of our, all of my um, interview, if you could leave our listeners based off of what you do and, you know, who you are in this life, if you could leave our listeners with something a quote uh, a saying um just a piece of advice what would it be mm. my favorite quote around sexuality is you're a sexual person first and you share it 
second. Very powerful. Mm, thank you. Very, very powerful. I love that. And how can people get in touch with you since, you know, we're still struggling with that, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, my website is thesexologist.org and I offer free discovery calls. If you're like, ah, this sounds intriguing. Not sure if it's for me. Jump on a quick 15 minute call and we can see if it's a good fit. If, if something I offer could be helpful to you. I also um, I'm on Instagram at sexdocjill. And I do trivia, sex trivia Tuesdays and post a lot of fun things. Um, So if you just want to kind of quietly lurk in the background, that's an option too. And do you have any big projects coming up besides your book, of course? Yes. Um, (laughs) So my first retreat of 2020 will be in April and I'm going to be um, announcing the, um, like the exact dates and how you can register soon. So if you go to the retreat link on the sexologist.org, you can sign up to just be emailed when the dates are announced and you can sign up to come on out to San Diego and spend three days in sun and sex positivity. I love it. (laughs) Well, I want to say thank you, Dr. Jill, for coming on. And um, once again, audience, uh, thank you for bearing with us. This was a a fabulous interview. I I really enjoyed every minute of it and learning about your life and your struggles and your how you overcome them. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. It was my pleasure. It was really nice talking with you and and you're such a good listener, so I really appreciate being able to share the story. Thank you. You're so welcome. And we'll see you again storytellers. Have a wonderful day and welcome to 2020. Thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story. This podcast has been brought to you by your parent company, KC Products, LLC. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Connect with us and keep the conversation going on Facebook and Instagram. If you love Tell Me Your Story, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time.